Coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 17th of December, 2023, a gift-giving guide. Well, we're one week and a day from Christmas. I don't know about you, but December seems to be flying by. <clears throat> Title of my message, Gift-Giving Guide. And I love what Margie said this morning in Sunday school. She says, it's too late. I already went shopping. I said, well, you can use this, today's message for checking on, checking up to see if you bought good gifts or not. I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 1. I was watching uh, TV and they threw up an ad. And it was a couple and they were driving to a relative's house. And uh, they were evidently going to celebrate Christmas. And they both looked at each other and realized that they left the present for this person at home. So what do you do now? Don't want to show up out without a present. And so... The camera pans and they look over and they drive over and you don't know what they're going to get. And then they show up at the door and they have the door answered by the person they were going to give the gift to and they handed them three lottery tickets. And I thought, that would be impressive, wouldn't it? You get a gift that somebody paid $3 for. And could, you could scratch all the surface off and get nothing. So, <clears throat> we come to the first principle of gift giving. It says, not every gift is needed or wanted. Not every gift is needed or wanted. How many have ever been involved in white elephant gift giving? Well, it's, it's remarkable because I found that there's an actual website for white elephant gift giving, and it will give you all the rules for how to, to play that quote-unquote game. But the idea of a white elephant, where did that come from? Well, actually, the modern notion of white elephant came about due to that reliable source of news, the good new, the New York Times in 1873, where they put forth the idea of a white elephant gift. And it was predicated around um, the idea of a white, a real white elephant in Siam, now, now known as Thailand. Um, the whole thing was made up. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't real, but they put forth this idea. And the idea was this, that a white elephant, because of its rarity, then would often be claimed by the king. And the king would have the white elephant. And that would be a treasured uh, element of his country. In fact, in the, before the turn of the last century, 
Uh, it used to be a white elephant on the flag. That's how they identified their country. But here's how the story went. That the king, if he was had somebody that was he was upset with, then would give a white elephant to this person he was upset with. And that person then would, having been gifted a white elephant, found themselves in a real bind. Because a white elephant, because it is revered and treasured, you couldn't work it. So you wouldn't use a white uh, elephant, which would normally be a tool that you would use to move logs or whatever, that you couldn't use it for that because it was something venerated. But you would still have the responsibility of taking care of it, of housing it and feeding it. So I looked up to see approximately how much would an elephant eat. And it's about 300 pounds of food every day. So you can imagine a person who received this luscious gift of a white elephant and now had the responsibility of caring for it day in and day out, but couldn't get anything for it. And couldn't, couldn't trade it because the king gave it to you. Couldn't, couldn't use it because it was revered and all you had was this huge white elephant that you got to take care of. So there's where the idea of a white elephant gift came from. So we can see that not every gift then is needed or even wanted. Okay? So let's talk about really good gift giving and we find ourselves turning to James, the first chapter. And in this chapter, uh, James began talking about testing on the one side and being tempted on the other. Now, we have, we have shared in times past that the word that is, is used there is, is a, a word depending on the context either a positive thing or a negative thing. It's like two sides of the same coin. You look at one side and you go, this test was given by God and was given for the purpose of refining somebody's spiritual life, helping them to grow closer to the Lord. The other side is a, is a temptation. And a temptation is used by Satan to drag somebody down. And so the word can be used in either context. And we come to uh, this passage here in James, the first chapter, and he says, Count it all joy, verse 2, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And here he uses the word for trial. And he says, you're going to be excited about this. You're going to be joyful about this because you have a trial. How many are joyful when you encounter a trial? Well, I see there's a lot of spiritual growth that needs to go on in this room. No, no one's happy because of the trial. Nobody wants to go through a testing period in their life. They like just things to go well, like things go smooth. 
and have no issues. But it is in those moments that we are refined. And so God says, you ought to welcome them. You ought to treasure them because you know if you go through them the right way, you come out better for it on the other side. But that raises the question then, if God sends trials, what about the temptations that come into life, those things that are, are given to us by Satan for the purpose of bringing us down and destroying us? And he, and he talks about that in verse 12 and following. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, and when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He says, however, in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil. He himself tempts no one. So any temptation that comes into life didn't get started in the mind and the heart of God and given to you because it was designed to, um, to cause you to fail. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. He says, do not be deceived, my brothers. You need to be able to sort the difference between a test and a temptation. And we have seen that the purposes of God and the purposes of Satan are often worked out in the same circumstances. In the case of Job, and we've talked about him on many occasions, Satan wanted to destroy Job and destroy his, temp, his uh, reputation and his testimony of his love for God. And God says, you can do that, but I know something that you don't know that Job will withstand this because I am going to see him through this. So there was both aspects at the same time. So we come down to verse 16, and he says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. And then he talks about our topic for today. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And here we have uh, some key points that help us to understand what a good gift is. Now he says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And he talks about this, and in our English uh, Bibles, it says gift and gift, but they're two different words in the Greek, and one has to do the focus of the giving, and one is the idea of the thing received. So let's look, first of all, at the thing that is given, and it says every good gift, and the word there, the idea of something that is good is something that is beneficial. It isn't something that is intrinsically uh, good in the sense that we say, 
oh, that's a beautiful painting. It's a good painting. It's not intrinsically that, but it's something that when given is beneficial to the person who receives it. And so we, we come up with this principle. Every good gift is a result of gifting that was beneficial to the one who received it. So, Margie's going to evaluate her gift giving and say, of the gifts that you purchased, and don't raise your hand here, of the gifts that you're giving, was each gift beneficial to the person who received it? Scripture says that's what a good gift is. It's going to be beneficial. Remember we said not every gift is needed or wanted, but this one would be beneficial to the person who received it. How many have received beneficial gifts? I can remember going under the Christmas tree and getting new socks. Was that a good gift? Yes. For a kid, was it beneficial? Yeah. But as a kid, you don't look at it that way, do you? Okay? Because he goes on to say something else, too. He says, every perfect gift, then, is exactly matches a need. Okay? So the purpose of giving is to give something beneficial. And the idea of a perfect gift is it something that matches a need. Now, were socks a beneficial gift? Yes. Did they exactly match a need? Yeah, I suppose. Okay, you go, well, so was this a good and perfect gift? Yeah, I suppose so. Okay. But we often... Uh, don't look at gifts that way. You know, we'd much rather have something new and exciting. But let's let's go a month after Christmas. Let's look at those things that maybe someone got that was under the tree. And they look at that toy that's now broken or the batteries are worn out or both. Well, they put on their socks that morning and the socks are still good and beneficial and the toy is gone by the wayside. Now, when I was growing up, we had um, the Sears catalog. In fact, they didn't even call it catalog around Christmas time. What they call it? The wish book. And that's exactly what kids do, right? They look through the wish book and my mom would say, well, just get a different color pen, you know. It was really good because in those times they had the pick with the four different colors in those pens. And they would say, okay, your color is red, yours is blue. And, and then we'd have to circle the things that we wanted in the wish book. And so, of course, we only circled one thing, right? <laughs> you go through the pages and there's markings on all pages all the way through. He said, because 
we look at things that we want, but maybe don't need. But a good gift is something that we want and need. So we looked at every good gift as a result of gifting that is beneficial to the one who receives it. And every perfect gift exactly matches a need. But this passage is talking about God. And what does it say? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says these gifts then that we're talking about come from God. And I'm going to give you a principle then. All good and perfect gifts, or all gifts that are beneficial and a match in need, come from God. Or are re-gifted by us. Now, we think of re-gifting as a terrible thing. You know, someone gives you something and you go, what do I do with this? Oh, I, I know I can pass that on to somebody else. That's not how I'm using this. I'm using this the way that King David did in the Old Testament when they gathered all the supplies together to build the temple. And as David prayed to God, he says, God, I am so thankful that the people brought all this stuff and we have it here ready to build a temple. And I know that Solomon's going to build a temple. I just want to thank you, though, for all this. Although I realize that what we're giving you is already your stuff. <laughs> and we just got it from you and we're giving it back. And so that's what I mean by re-gifting. We come to realize that every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from God. And that's the source. And the only other gifts that are left for us is to re-gift. To re-gift. But he uses an interesting term here that doesn't necessarily show up in our English Bibles. But James, as he's giving us this verse, pulls two terms out of a topic on astronomy or a vision. He says, with whom there is no variation. No variation. And the word that he uses in the Greek is where we get the word parallax from. Okay? And it's the idea of the apparent displacement or difference in apparent position of an object viewed from two different lines of sight. Okay? So how many of you have a book in front of you or can grab a book? Okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your book and hold it right out in front so that your eyes are looking at the binding. Okay? And you have both eyes open and you're looking at it. Okay? 
Some of you aren't doing this. Okay, you're looking at the binding. Now close your left eye. Okay, does it look different? Now close your right eye. Does it look different? That's parallax. Okay, because your dominant eye will show you the picture when you are looking at straight ahead, both eyes open. And when you close the one and you look, and then you'll see that you'll see a shift because you've closed off the dominant eye and now the other eye has, has the right and rule and it shows you a different view. And you go, so what? <laughs> and the point is that James says, the good gifts that come from God come with no parallax because God doesn't change. Doesn't matter how you view him, he's the same. He's the same. So when he says, I'm going to give you a good and perfect gift, guess what kind of gift he's going to give tomorrow? A good and perfect gift. How about next week? Good and perfect gift. What kind of gift is he going to give to you, your neighbor? A good and perfect gift. What kind of gift is he going to give to your enemy? I hope he gives a lump of coal. No, he gives a good and perfect gift, right? That's what James is making a point about. He says, don't be deceived. Every gift comes from God, and it's a good and perfect gift, and it's given by a God who does not change. You say, well, what about the other one? He says, there is no variation or shadow due to change. And you go, what is he talking about here? And here, he uses another term that we use when we talk about the world we live in. How many like going for a drive? You, ever, you know, going for a drive. Some of you like to go for a drive. Some of you like to stay home. I know, I know. Okay, how would you like to go driving? at six o'clock in June. Not a bad time, right? You can see plenty. Now, how many like to go drive in at six o'clock tonight? And you go, oh, pastor, you don't know what that's like, man. I'm old enough, I'm getting blind. And the glare of the lights. I just want to stay home. When I start to see the lights go out, boom. I'm staying home. I'm not driving in that stuff. He says, well, how come at 6 o'clock in June you could drive? Yeah, no problem. Because it's going to stay light for several more hours. But here and now in December, you go driving at 6, you better have your headlights on and be prepared for a road glare of all sorts. He says, because the word that he uses to describe them, a God who doesn't change, is where we get the idea of solstice. 
long days and short nights or short days and long nights. And he says, why? Because in relationship to the sun, we change. And so we can't see the sun all the time in the wintertime as much as we can in the summertime. And it changes. Every day it's changing. He says, in God, there is no change. There is no solstice. When you see God, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he only gives good and perfect gifts. And we know that a good and perfect gift is going to be something that is beneficial and exactly meets a need. You say, well, what then are you saying about gift-giving, Pastor? Because we seem to have gotten a long way from going down to Walmart here. We're, you're talking about God and the kind of gifts that he gives. Well, let me suggest to you that the best gift that we can give is something that is going to be needed, something that's beneficial, and it's going to be something that's wanted. Okay? Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He's talking about what kind of life we live, and he says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We know then that if we're going to match up with God and be re-gifting, we better be cheerful givers, okay? Not, not to be people that give because under compulsion or anything along that line, say you have to do this. Because a person can give a gift under compulsion, right? Say, well, you just have to do it. If you show up and you don't have a gift, Boy, people will talk about you. That's not the motive for giving. You want to give because your heart is full. He says, each one must give as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, Part of what God gives to you, he intends for you to re-gift to others. What has God given to you? What's your greatest treasure that God has given to you? My understanding is the greatest gift that he's given to me is eternal life through his son. Amen. He says... As it is written, he has free, distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies 
seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, he says he's given you the resources to minister on his behalf and share the righteousness that you've received from him with others and share the wealth. So we come to our last principle. Every good and perfect gift is treasured by those who receive it. And what I mean by that, they understand exactly what they've got. And they treasure it. See, you don't have a problem with a kid under the Christmas tree and he's asked for this thing or another and he doesn't get it or he does get it. But a month from now, he probably won't remember one way or another. But let's change the circumstances a little bit. Your heart is failing. You're in the hospital. And someone who was involved in an accident some other place has passed away, but has left his heart to be donated. And it's a match to you. And you go, that sounds an awful lot like socks. No, it doesn't, does it? You go, no. I'm not only willingly going to receive this, I'm going to be grateful for it because it is just what I need. It matches perfectly the issue that I'm facing. So every good gift and perfect gift is treasured by those that receive it. And so we talk about gift. We're talking about the gift of eternal life. John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one of a kind, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He gave his son. Why? Because he knew that that gift would be beneficial and match up with the need. He says the wages of sin is death in Romans 6, 23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says God gave us eternal life through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. The interesting thing is if we need a heart transplant spiritually, we can't do that on our own. We can't generate the heart, and we can't perform the surgery. Right? Just like a person who physically needs a heart can't supply a heart. He's got to get it from somebody else. And he's got to have a surgeon that's willing to do it. And a whole crew of attendees, nurses, staff, that are helping with that process. But God, when he does a heart change, he supplies the heart and he does the work. Listen to what John writes in the beginning of his gospel, John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who received him, 
who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. Couldn't do it on his own. We can't get saved on our own. Has to be done by God. 2 Corinthians 9.15, our last cross-references here, says, thanks be to God. In the King James, I think it says, for his unspeakable gift. In other words, you can't adequately describe how great the gift is. Indescribable is another uh, translation, or inexpressible. Why? Because the gift is so So you say, hey, well, pastor, that's fine, but uh, I think we were misled by the title of your message because you talked about good gift giving, and uh, then you went off on this whole spiritual journey, which we're inclined to believe that that's what you would do anyway. But what about giving good gifts? So let's take those principles for a moment. Something that's beneficial, meets a need, and something that's desired by someone else. You know, the interesting thing is God has a gift here, but there's some people who say, no, not interested. You're talking about eternal life? I'm not interested. I don't want to get involved in that whole spiritual thing that you're talking about. None of that. Say, well, maybe so. But for those who have received that gift and now in the process of regifting, he says, God has made us ministers of reconciliation, giving us the privilege to share the gifts with others. So let me suggest something. I, I realize that you may have bought some gifts and now that you're evaluating them, you say, well, nothing quite matches that one. And well, that was the point. He says, but are we gonna go through this Christmas season and think only about some present that could be boxed up and put under a tree? Are we thinking about a person's spiritual condition and their need for salvation? and life in Christ, which is God's best gift. And he allows us to share it with others, re-gift it. Not that we can save anybody, but the fact that we can share the message of it and a person can receive it directly from God. May we be about the Father's business. This Father who never changes, always has the same thought and intent and desires for others to have what only he can give and what we so desperately need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were in our most disparate position, Apart from you, you saw fit to let us know by some others who regifted this great salvation 
by sharing it with us that we might be direct recipients from you of a life, an eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in his name we give thanks and praise.